Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And what we see here is a picture of what true repentance looks like. Repentance always results in a deep grief in the soul and an anger with self. In order for anyone to be saved, he must experience what's described in verse 5. There must be this deep grief in the soul and an anger with, with, with himself for the sins that he decided to do. And this is what separates, verse 5 here in this description, is what separates genuine repentance and conversion because it's deep in the soul from superficial, verbal only, false conversion. What separates it is this deep grief in the soul and anger with self over the decisions to sin. And if there's not a verse five experience in a person's life, this grief in the soul, this anger with uh, anger with self over sins, there's just not a genuine repentance and conversion. It's just that simple. People can sign papers, people can raise hands, people can repeat prayers, but there must be this verse five earthquake in the soul of this grief, deep grief, and anger with self. So so that's what man does when he's converted. He repents with the grief and he has an anger with self. But then in the next words of Joseph, we see what God does in this conversion process. See, Joseph could could not have been more calming. He could not have been more comforting to his brothers than to say that when they sold him as a slave, that it was really, in verse 5, God did send me before you to preserve life. I mean, once the brothers showed this grief and this anger with self, then Joseph steps in with words of comfort to tell them, it was really God. It was really God. Don't worry. It was really God that sent me here to Egypt. And that's what God does for the sinner. The sinner who is truly grieved deeply in his soul, is angry with himself, God speaks in Isaiah 40, verse 1. Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort ye, comfort ye. My people, saith your God. See, God commands this. And then in Isaiah 66, 13, in Isaiah 66, 13, as one whom his mother comforteth. I mean, just picture that, right? (laughs) As one whom his mother comforted, right? Comforted. No, as one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you. This is God speaking. So will I comfort you, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. 
So God comforts the repentant sinner like a mother comforts her child. And now Joseph reveals where his heart really is concerned. And he does this in verse 6 when he says, These two years hath the famine been in the land, and there are yet five years in the which there shall be neither earing nor harvest. So what Joseph said here in this verse 6 here with his, his 2 and 5 is really revealing to us a mentality for Joseph. It's really a state of mind that Joseph is in. Joseph is very, in this verse 6, Joseph is very focused on the fact that there have been two years of famine that have passed and that there are five years of famine still remaining. So Joseph has, he's got one eye on the two years that have passed and he's got another eye on the coming five years of the famine. And he's actually aware of the fact that there's going to be no more harvest for the next five years. So when you look at this, verse 6, you can call this Joseph's mentality two down, five to go. This is a two down, five to go concern. It's a two down, five to go concern in his life. And this scene of Joseph here with his two down, five to go concern is challenging for us. It's challenging for us personally. I mean, do you have, like I do, a, a list of lost people that you regularly pray for? Do you have a kind of list like that? Yeah, some of you do. You know, you have a list of lost people. You pray for them regularly. Well, then have you experienced, as I have, that some of those lost people on your prayer list have died? Has that, that happened too? Okay. Uh, I mean, just this last week, I mean, I'm talking two days ago, we had a shock we had a shockwave go through the company as one of our staff who's worked for us for 11 years, only 44 years old, died. He passed away. And it all started a month ago when he was a very healthy person. He was just found non-responsive at the desk. And all thought that everything was under control when he was discharged from the hospital. He had a treatment plan, etc. Until last, Until a couple days ago when death came. Only 44 years old. And, and my first thought was, was the decision, did he make the decision to be saved? And I don't know. But, but what I do know is that I spoke at every company breakfast, quarterly breakfast, four times a year, and at every company Christmas meal. And I always try to bring the gospel in every one. So I know that the gospel was heard maybe around 50 times. But but the time of the gospel decision for that person has passed. It's gone. And I have experienced lost people on my prayer list that die. And it's very disturbing to realize that, oh, no, you can't pray for that person anymore uh, because that, the, you can't pray for their salvation because they're in the post-death eternity phase of life. And, and it's already begun. And when it first happened that a lost person on my prayer list died, I started to delete that person, you know, from my prayer list. And I started to do that. And then I, and I decided, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. I'm going to leave them on the prayer list as a reminder of two down, five to go. Concern. And that's what we see in verse six. And so now, whenever I see these names on my prayer list, it reminds me of the short limits 
of our, of our life here on earth. And it reminds me to pray while I can before I can't. And it reminds me to witness while I can before I can't. And, you know, it, it, this, 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 this limits on life. It, again, I, I go back to Japan. I remember, I, I remember so often as I, as I was back in Tokyo last week, and it just reminded me, traveling around and looking at everything, of, the, of those days of the full schedule of be- business meetings in hospitals, sometimes or companies, sometimes five per day. And as, as Dr. Miyoga and I, we, we would be traveling on the subways, the taxis, the trains. And, and, uh, and I was always, you know, wanting to go into the little shops, you know, on the train tracks. And <laughs> like this last time I went in there, I said, I'll just take one of each. You know, it's like, yeah, give me the smoked oysters, the clams, the, the, uh, the eel, the, um, you know, the, this, oh, it's, it's just so much fun. Of course, I ate my way through Japan. But anyway, um, but, but, and, and I would always get distracted. I would buy trinkets. I always buy trinkets. I'm always buying paper clips, you know, from Japan that, you don't have here, and, you know, pens, and I don't know. It just goes on and on. Anyway, and I always get distracted, and Dr. Miyogo would have to always come to me, and he would always go through the same routine. Time is limited. Time is limited, he would say with his watch. And, and really, that's the principle here of verse 6. Time is limited. Five down, or two down, five to go, concern. You know, I was thinking about this when we returning from Japan on Friday, <clears throat> after an, a normal, long, irritating plane ride, and you get into LAX airport, and you take the shuttle, you know, which, again, is like, uh, it's like being in a sardine can, you know, it's just like people everywhere, you know. You think there was enough people in Japan wait to arrive at LAX. And, and so I, I was on the shuttle bus at the LAX airport, and there sat across from me a couple, a handlebar mustache, and his wife was sitting next to him, and she didn't look at all like a rancher. In fact, she had an East Coast accent. And so I, I, I asked her where she was from, and, and, and she, said, she, she said, New York. And I said, from the city? And she said, yes. And I thought, oh, she's from the Holy Land. It's New York City. <laughs> so I said to her, are you Jewish? Now, the bus is full of people. We're all crammed in there. Everybody's listening to this. All kinds of people. She didn't know who I was, and she didn't know who all the people around her were on the bus, and she was not in the Holy Land of New York. And so she gets this frightened look on her face, and she sort of says softly under her voice, yes, how did you know? You know, like that. And I wanted to tell her that I was a friend, not a foe. And I wanted to tell her that I was Jewish. So when she asked me, you know, um, you know, it, it, when she asked me if I was Jewish, I, I wanted to send the message to her. I said, because you look like one of my relatives. <laughs> and then she relaxed. And then I took out my, my, my testimony book, which I always kind of carry with me. I don't seem to have one now anyways. How, how a Jew, how a Jew came to, Oh, and put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. A much more flattering picture, don't you think? A little bit younger. Anyway, so I took out this booklet and I, and I gave it to her. And 
of course, you know, you cannot miss the gold letters, right? The Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're going to get offended, it'll be before she, you even take it, you know. But she took it. And, 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 and um, she took it. And, and she, she, she looked over the cover and perused through the booklet. And then she looked at her husband without saying a word. And she smiled at her husband. And he smiled at her with that, with that how did he know look. And her husband looked back and, and, and gave me this look of, God knows. And, and then she turned back to me and she said, may I keep this? Now that's unusual. <laughs> People ask that. May I keep this? And I said, sure. So it was very clear to me that her husband was a believer and his wife was not yet a believer, but on the way, and he was working with her. And I thought, of, of, and, I was, and that was all. And then I, I thought of God saying to me, and you thought your trip was all about going to Japan? <laughs> your trip was all about meeting this lost lady on the shuttle bus coming home from Japan. Now, now on that shuttle bus, bus there, after flying for I don't know how long from Japan, I was tired, I was irritated, and I, all I wanted to do was go find my bed, you know, and my pillow. And this bus was packed with people all around us. So, what drives us? What drives us to come out of our shell uh, uh, w- when we're exhausted to speak to strangers about the Lord? Verse 6. Verse 6 drives us. Two down, five to go, concern. And that's what drives us to pray while we can for the lost and to witness while we can to the lost. It's just a whole lot easier to just sit back and wait for someone to come and ask for the hope that lies within us. And I was thinking about this at the airports, went through airports. And at the airports, they have these, inf- you've seen them, these information desks, where, where if you have a question, you ask the person sitting at the information desk. Now, some Christians like to sit at the information desk and wait for someone to come up and ask them for the reason of the hope that lies within you. And it's a whole lot easier to sit at the information desk and wait for someone to ask for the gospel rather than to get out from behind the information desk and start speaking to people without being asked. But coming out from behind the information desk is what's meant by the word preach in, 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 in Mark 16, 15. In Mark 16, 15, it's, this is what meant when he said, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I mean, we have to be driven to get up and to get out from behind the information desk. And what drives us to get up and get out from, on, from behind the information desk? It's verse six. It's the two down and five to go concern. Now, so we see here now as we continue on in verse, in verse seven here, we see Joseph describing what happened to him. And he says in verse 7, God sent me before you to preserve a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So what he's saying here in verse 7 is God sent me before you to save your lives, to save your lives. He's saying that he saw all of the suffering that he endured as having the ultimate purpose of going before his brothers. See where it says that? God sent me before you to save your lives. As going before his brothers so he could lead them on to safety. And that's what makes this statement in verse 7 so great. 
when it says, God sent me before you to save your lives. See, the statement, God sent me before you to save your lives, is an illustration for us of what God does and did. And he said that in Deuteronomy 1.30. Deuteronomy 1.30, the Lord said, the Lord your God which goeth before you, he shall fight for you. I mean, doesn't that statement in verse 7 describe the Lord Jesus, God sent me before you to save your lives? And, and, and with Deuteronomy 1.30, the Lord went before us to fight for us. I mean, there we were on earth, heading right down the middle of the road to hell. And there God was in heaven, just like it says Joseph, about Joseph. And, and, and the Lord Jesus was sent, sent before, before us to, to save our lives. It just says Joseph was sent before the brothers to save their lives. The Lord Jesus was sent by God the Father to go before us to save our lives. God became a man in order to go before us to save our lives. And as a man, God went before us through death to, as it says in Hebrews 2.10, Hebrews 2.10, bringing many sons to glory. Come on now, bringing many sons. Can't you just see that? The sheep of the Lord, and the Lord is the shepherd, and he's saying, come on now, follow me. I'm gonna lead you to glory. Just follow me. And just like Joseph went through all these suffering in order to bring his brothers to life, so the Lord went through the cross, the suffering of the cross, in order to bring us to life. And, and then he told his brothers that God had two purposes in sending him to Egypt in verse seven. Two purposes. One purpose, well, may I ask you, what are the two purposes in verse seven that God had in sending Joseph to Egypt before them? What's the first purpose? Preserve a posterity and, and to save lives. Those are the two. God to send you before to, before to preserve you a posterity in the earth. When Joseph said that God, that he was sent to preserve the Jewish people a posterity in the earth, he was expressing how important it was for the people of Joseph to have a posterity in the earth. This is, this shows us how God has a particular care for the Jewish people, as God has said in Deuteronomy 32.9. Deuteronomy 32.9 says, the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. So what does that mean? Does that mean that all the Jews are going are, are to be saved in heaven and no, no Jews in hell? No, not at all. The Lord made that clear in Matthew 8.11. Matthew 8.11, I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But does that, does that not change the fact that the Lord loves the Jewish people and they must have a posterity in the earth? You know, there's only one right side of the scriptures, and that is to love the Jewish people. And I don't say that because that's my background. It's just because the scriptures say this. It's to love the Jewish people and to pray for the Jewish people that they'd be saved from their sins. And when Joseph said he was sent by God to save their lives, save their lives, it shows how deeply he wanted them also right there in front of him to be reconciled with him. It reminds me of a Christian that was working alongside of a Jewish man. And I said to the Christian, I know, why don't you tell him, why don't you tell him that you want to spend eternity with him? And the Christian replied, because I don't want to spend eternity with him. <laughs> well, Joseph, he didn't see his brothers 
at what they, as what they had been with their murderous spirit that wanted to kill him in the waterless pit and that sold him into Egypt, he looked beyond their past and he visualized what his brothers would be like if they were saved. And what, and that's what made Joseph want to be with them when he said in verse four, come near to me. And, and, and he wanted to spend eternity with his brothers. And there's a key for us there on how we are to love our enemies and the unlovable in life. It's not to focus on what they have been and maybe still are, but it's to see beyond that and to visualize, boy, you know what he could be if he was saved? If he was a Christian, he would be fantastic. And, 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 and that's what Joseph did with his brothers. So when, now, in verse four, when Joseph said, I am your brother, that was very significant. Because don't forget, in the beginning, he opens with, I am Joseph, in verse 3. Verse 4, he goes further and says, I am Joseph, your brother. Now, if the brothers had it and were talking, they would have said, he's Joseph. That's all. He's just Joseph. They would not even said, they would not have said, he's Joseph, our brother, and this is what makes what Joseph said in verse 4 so important when Joseph said, I am your brother. See, when Joseph's statement of, I am your brother, it meant that when, when the, Joseph's brothers sold Joseph as a slave, they had divorced themselves from being uh, Joseph's brother. But even though Joseph's brothers divorced themselves from Joseph, when Joseph said, I am Joseph, your brother, Joseph was saying to them, even though you have divorced yourselves from me, I never divorced myself from you. Even though Joseph's brothers divorced himself from Joseph, Joseph never divorced himself from them. You know, Zatnath Paneah was not happy until he was Joseph again, their brother. And that's a picture of God as Joseph and the Jewish people. See, when the Jewish people rejected God, and the Lord Jesus. When they said, in essence, in Luke 19, 14, Luke 19, 14, we will not have this man to reign over us. When they said in Luke 23, 18, Luke 23, 18, they cried out at once saying, away with this man and release unto us Barabbas. When the Jewish people did that, they divorced themselves from the Lord Jesus, just like Joseph's brothers divorced themselves from Joseph. But just like Joseph, even though the Jewish people had divorced themselves from God, God never divorced himself from the Jewish people. He said that in Malachi 2.16, Malachi 2.16. For the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, that he hateth putting away. He hateth divorce. In Psalm 137.5, Psalm 137.5, if I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth, if I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. In Isaiah 62, 6, Isaiah 66, 62, 6, I've set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. Ye that mention of the Lord, keep not silence and give them no rest till he establish, till he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. See, when you look at John 1, 11, he came unto his own and his own received him not. John 1, 11. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. 
Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor, Bible teacher on the Friendship with God radio program and founder of Israel Restoration Ministries, would like to invite you to celebrate Good Friday on Friday, March 30th at 7 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee. Enjoy an evening of an in-depth Bible teaching from Tom Cantor, followed by a communion service on Good Friday at 7 p.m. Then join Tom in the Friendship with God Fellowship Sunday, April 1st at 5.30 p.m. for a special Easter Passover message. You are also invited to a Passover Seder dinner with Tom Cantor, Saturday, April 7th. The cost of the Passover meal is only $20. Enjoy great DZ Aikens food, fellowship, and a memorable Passover Seder message from Tom Cantor. The Friendship with God Fellowship Church is located inside the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, next to the Highway 67 and the Santee Drive-In. For more information, please call 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104. Or go to our website at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.